Hello and welcome to our special 2015 Christmas edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I think it's actually the first year that we air the Christmas program during the Christmas season and not during Advent. So this is very special. We can actually play Christmas music and not feel guilty about it. Today, as we do every year, I'll be joined by our contributors... Danny with Media Ministry Minutes, Jillian with What I Learned From My Kids, Mark with What's Good in Hollywood, and Sister Marie Paul with Windows to the Soul. They will all be giving their segments a little Christmas twist. But this year, I am also joined by a Catholic music veteran. You may have heard of Kaylee Rain under the leadership of Bob Halligan Jr., They've been making great Catholic music with a Celtic feel for many, many years. And so I'm very glad to be joined today by Bob Halligan Jr. That'll be much later on in the program. He has a new solo Christmas album, and that's what we'll be listening to today as well. So how about we begin with a song? Here's Bob Halligan Jr. with In the Bleak Midwinter from his new album, Christmas. In the Bleak Midwinter Frosty wind made moan Earth stood hard as iron Water like a stone Snow had fallen Snow on snow Snow on snow in the bleak midwinter long ago Our God, heaven cannot hold Him Nor earth sustain Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign in the bleak midwinter a stable place suffice Lord God Almighty Archangels may have gathered there cherubim and seraphim thronged the air, but his mother only in her I were a shepherd 
I would bring a lamb if I were a wise man. I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him. Give my. That was Bob Halligan Jr. with In the Bleak Midwinter from his new album, Christmas. And we're going to be speaking with Bob Halligan a little later on in the program. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is our Christmas edition of the Salt and Light Hour. And now, Media Ministry Minutes with Danny Torquia. Danny, welcome to the program. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you and your listeners. Merry Christmas. So I have a question for you, and because I actually received a comment last week uh, about a, an interview I did about climate change, a group of Catholics that were at the climate conference in Paris, and this woman was actually uh, complaining that, you know, uh, that I, she wasn't saying that there is climate change is not happening, but she was con- uh, challenging the fact that the church would be supporting certain things that governments are doing to fight climate change, etc. And I was, uh, I had a choice. I could respond to her or I could just ignore her. And I wasn't quite sure what to do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What do you suggest? Well, we're always faced with those decisions, what to do, you know, yes or no. And obviously the yes is always guided by love and sacrifice yes. and giving, self, selflessness. And, and obviously that means you have to take the time, you have to bite the bullet and, and stop what you're doing, which uh, may be selfless as well or selfish, that's for you to decide. But you've got to give usually if you can give. And that's how relationships are built. So the answer is yes. I always consult people that the more we know that it's a best practice, that if someone takes the time to write to you, it is a show of affection and love. It's better than indifference. So you want people to call you, email you, write you a letter. Yes. With their, even with the, if they're bitter and they're angry, it means they want you to, to give them the lowdown, give them the, the, the reality of check of why are, you, why are we doing this? And, and I think that's a teaching moment that we, we should, as communications persons, it's our responsibility to say, look, it's a busy world out there. We're fighting in the world of noise, and, and noise among youngsters especially. Yeah. That's so coming from marketing, you know, we're fighting for noise and share of voice. Yes. So why would we ever say no to scrutiny or inquiries from uh, any, anybody from a donor or a media? Okay, so you're, what, but what you're saying is that we say yes to, to the... To I guess it's not really a challenge, but yes to to responding. But that but by the fact that we're saying yes to that response doesn't mean that we're agreeing with what the other person is saying necessarily. No, and the yes is basically yes to dialogue. Yes, and we to all dialogue. want dialogue. Okay, and, and it reminds us of it really reminded uh, us of Mary's yes, the unequivocal. Even though we're fearful, even right. though Mary was fearful, yes. apprehensive, uh, young, etc., uh, she said yes, and it's not a half measured yes. It's got to be a full yes. And the same thing is with communications, because if you're going to uh, open up the door to dialogue, it cannot be a door that you open up and close on someone's nose at your own whim uh-huh. because of the topic that some of the person's bringing with them when they're crossing the door. We've been talking a lot about doors in our faith in the year of mercy. Yes. We, we need to have an open door. Right. Absolutely. I love that. So Mary's fiat... That she said yes, and and that opened a huge door. <laughs> um, and but that's our faith is a faith of yes that we say yes, not our faith is not a faith of of no. 
Yeah, as, and as I, I work with uh, some people in the Catholic Church and some people in the for-profit commercial centers. Yeah. And, and it, whether it's a church group, small group, parish group, or even a big company, it's amazing how many groups are guided by fear, and that leads them to say no to people who come with questions that might be scandalous, might be too challenging or onerous for someone. Or, you know, I, I think we have to, we know we're inadequate. We know we can't answer everything on our own. We know we need God's support. But we have to pray that we get the strength to say yes to these uh, uncomfortable inquiries or moments of dialogue and say yes to dialogue and, and not no. So it, it's hard. It's, it's a, I don't want to use the word utopian, but it's what we're called to do. We've got to try hard and fight tooth and nail to do that. Yeah, absolutely. You're actually making me think, and I think I've spoken about this in this show before, but I certainly have written about it, that, that so often we use we, the things that we do are motivated by pride or by despair or by fear. And in fact, we should be motivated by the opposite of those three, which are faith, hope, and love. That everything we do should be motivated by faith, hope, and love. And that means that we say yes. Yes, Fiat. and you're right, you're right. In this case, fear is usually the biggest culprit. And fear creates organizations and communications departments that are extremely paralyzed or dysfunctional, even if in a little bit. And that means that we're not truly maximizing our time on Earth. We're not truly maximizing our vocation if we're in communications. Because uh, I've come to learn that being in, in communications is a vocation. It's, it's very needed. And we were not necessarily doing a very good job at it, both in, in, the, in the nonprofit and the for-profit. Right. Now, I know that you're, you, part of your job, you guys do crisis PR. Yes. And so you're helping companies and politicians and all kinds of people do this all the time. And I'm sure that you're probably butting heads with all their lawyers and their insurance oh my brokers. So how do you navigate that? Because the church at the same time has lawyers and insurance people yes. who are driven uh, by fear. They might say that they're driven by prudence. Um, and they're saying, well, no we got to guard ourselves, we've got to defend ourselves because we're going to get sued. So how do we find that balance? Well, first of all, it's okay to be prudent, and it's, and it's okay to have legal counsel. Yes. But you have to be human before legal and, and prudent, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, and, and humanity means it's anchored, our faith is anchored on love. So it starts with that, and lawyers, not, not many, I don't know that many, that would start with that perspective of love and humanity. No. Um, but, but with respect to... Um, a crisis and a, a lawsuit, or, or we have to uh, be prepared to to own up to shortcomings. We have to be prepared. You know what's uh, what I say that there's no bad publicity for the astute or trained, yeah. uh, bold and and um, empowered communicator. And empowered is key because you cannot be a puppet. You cannot be uh, low in sincerity. If you say sorry and we made a mistake, you must be ready to uh, actually affect change. And, and make change to grow. That's what a human being would do if someone committed adultery, if someone has a gambling problem. You, that you, would, you would ask your spouse, if that was the case, to show progress and show progress. But you would, normally, humanity doesn't fully bail on failure. We know failure is part of the world. We're taught to forgive, but everyone deserves to know that the partner who's made a mistake will sincerely, and, and in a long-term fashion, try to improve. Yeah. And that requires listening and dialogue and then and then keeping people posted on your progress. Yeah, absolutely. So so the connection with fiat saying yes and also the connection with mercy that I think you just made here. Um, oh, as great. we enter this, this door of mercy. So Danny, thank you very much. Um, blessed Christmas season to you and your family. Thank you to you and everyone listening as well. Appreciate it. Daniel Torquia is the managing director of Torquia Communications. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Torquia. I'm Sister Marie Paul Curley of the Daughters of St. Paul. 
And you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is a special Christmas edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Learn more about Salt and Light at saltandlighttv.org. And now it's time for... What I Learned from My Kids with Jillian Cantor. Jillian, um, you've learned, you've learned an, a, a, a preparing for Christmas lesson from your kids. Yes. Yeah. They're always so eager to teach mom things. Yes. So but, I'd say as we uh, come towards Christmas, um, the thing that they've been teaching me, and not just me, but my husband as well, is that it's worth it. Um, okay. I think that, I, I, I hope, <laughs> I hope that I'm not alone. In the um, uh, just feeling the little bit of pressure in uh, using this as a teaching moment, Advent as a teaching moment for our children. Uh-huh. I think maybe it's the pressure of um, the outside influences of shopping and wish lists and want lists and Santa Claus and yeah. all the yeah. um, craziness of the season yes. that makes me or and other moms and dads and families yes. feel the pressure of, okay, well, we have to do something to counterbalance that. Yes. And so it feels like it's that added uh, momentum, added pressure to teach them more about the story of Jesus and, yes. and what is Advent and what are we preparing for. So it just seems like, the, yeah, there's just the question of, as we approach, even as we approach Advent, not mm-hmm. as we approach Christmas, but yes. as we approach Advent, what should we be doing? We have the wreath. Should we do the Jesse tree? We have a Jesse box. Should we uh-huh. be just, uh, how should we be counting down the days, and what should we be putting the emphasis on? Yeah. And usually I get to the first day of Advent, and I'm like, okay, I'm totally unprepared. Yes, I haven't done <laughs> anything. <this>. Yes. <clears throat> and so this year, um, we had overheard from some parents at school that there was this event happening, it was called a walk to Bethlehem. Okay. Um, and so David and I decided that this would be something uh, maybe worth pursuing as we help our kids prepare for Christmas. Um, what the walk to Bethlehem is, is an event organized by a number of different parishes. Um, it's outside in the evening, which means it's just, it's December, so it's dark and yes, it's cold. and cold, yeah. And, <laughs> and what they, they've set up a number of different stations, and so you literally walk um, on a guided tour with a group of people um, from station to station, uh-huh. and it gives you a better understanding of what that walk for Mary and Joseph was like. Yeah. Um, and so you are meeting other uh, people on their journey. You're seeing shepherds. You're passing by kings. You're hearing the story of King Herod. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting. Yes. But we went into it not really knowing what to expect because this is our, our first year going. So it was cold. We thought we were prepared for that. It was crowded. We really did not oh. that. We did not know how many people would be going. And yeah. because it's a guided tour, we had to wait oh, at the yes. starting point for the next person to be available. So we were waiting for about an hour. And for the kids, it was like, what are we waiting for? We're standing in the strange building. It's dark and it's cold. And what do mom and dad take us to? Yeah. And so it didn't take very long for the whining to start. And mm-hmm. then when we get outside and we start the walk, well, now it's starting to rain. And oh. it's muddy and mucky on this dirt road. <laughs> And we're slowly, slowly losing it. And by halfway through, the kids were done, and they wanted to go home. Yes. <laughs> and there was a lot of complaining. And to be quite honest, I was thinking to myself, we probably could have made hot chocolate and watched the Christ- some sort of Christmas story on TV and gotten the same yes. thing out of it. Yes. So I was also feeling like we're done. But it was dark, and we couldn't see where we were, so we didn't know how to get out of there. <laughs> so oh. we just kept pushing through. 
So after about an hour, um, the, they've all, we've gone through all the stations, the event has ended, you finish up with cookie and a hot chocolate. People are, our people are now starting to be a little bit happier because they're warming up with this hot chocolate. Yes. But still, by the time we get home, it was way past bedtime. Everyone was miserable. They were muddy. The van got muddy. Kids were grumpy. There was a bathroom accident in a car seat. So it was just exhausting. And so when we were finished, David and I just looked at each other like, I don't know why we did that. <laughs> I feel totally defeated. Yes. Fast forward a week later, and um, David happened to be out for the evening, and so I was handling the bedtime routine solo. So mm-hmm. I told Joseph, as our oldest, he has to be the most responsible one, yes. whether he likes it or not. I told him, okay, I'm about to put Clara down for sleep. Um, so if you guys, if you could just read a book quietly or play, play a game quietly in your room while I do that, that'd be great. And he looks at me very earnestly, and he says, or we could practice for a nativity play. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, oh, right. Yeah, you could do that too. So off I go, and off they go. I'm putting Claire down. I can hear a bunch of things being moved around the house. I'm hardly in her room. I come out, and my living room has been transformed into a stable, and the kids are all wearing costumes. And I swear I did not make them do this, nor did I set out costumes, <laughs> but they are all ready to go. They sit me down on the couch, and they perform this nativity play. And most of the lines are being fed to Henry and Annie by Joseph. Yes. But they are also coming almost directly from the walk to Bethlehem <clears throat> that we attended the week prior. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I grab my camera and I'm trying to record this so that David can see and hear it as well. And when he does come home and I, when I show this to him, we realized, yeah, it was worth it. Yes. It was a miserable evening and we felt like nobody was getting anything out of it and it was just too cold and too windy and too gross. But in the end, our kids received a different perspective than mm-hmm. they would have from a movie or from a storybook. Mm-hmm. They they felt like they were, were on a journey. Yeah. And so those lines and those images and those actions stayed with them so much that they could perform it for us later. Um, and so I was beaming and I was a very, very proud mama, but I was also just glad that we had made that effort. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, not just for that particular event, but for any of the things that we're doing for Advent. It might seem at the time useless because somebody's grumpy or somebody's not paying attention or everyone's going in a million different directions. But in the end, it's worth it. Yes. You know, we've, we've made that effort. We've tried told them the best, the story of Jesus, the best way that we could, and some of the things they pick on, pick up on, and some of the things they don't, but what we have to remember is that it's worth it. They are picking up on something, um, yes. and it is making a difference to them. It so. is, and it's out of our hands, how, how yeah, it, how it exactly. sinks. Yes, yep. that is so true, and, and I, I mean, I have a 16 and a 19-year-old now, and you can see that all those things that you thought that they weren't paying attention, that they weren't, yeah. you know, that they were whining, or that they were just fighting with each other instead of listening to the story, they they remember, and it yeah. made a difference, <laughs> and they know it, like they know. Well, yeah, I'm and not, a lot yes. of times when we're, you know, we're just, we're, we're a pretty new family. Our oldest is only seven. Yeah. Um, and so we're starting up a lot of traditions, and some of the things I wonder what will be the ones that yes. they remember when yes. they're older or when they're starting their own families yes. or off on their own? Yes. What will be the things that they yes. think fondly of and try to implement in their own life? And so 
Uh, Maybe no, that adds a little bit of no, <laughs> pressure because right. I want to make it just right. No, but it also, yeah. it just brings me a lot of peace. It just makes me feel really good to know that this is our family and these are the things that we're starting and and it will be carried on in some way yeah. by these people. So. And ne- Yeah, and next year they're going to be the ones saying, when are we going on the Bethlehem Walk? <laughs> right? <laughs> David and, and I will be like, we're yeah, not going Yeah, you guys year. are going by yourselves. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're right. We have, again teenagers who are who are they keep the traditions alive because we're like oh really we don't have to you guys are 16 19 <laughs> years old we don't have to put do that again but they're yeah. the ones that want to do it because yeah. it's been a tradition it means so, something to yeah them. absolutely and it was all worth it good there well, you good go job. thank you <laughs> thank you um and thank you and have a merry christmas same to you and to your family and uh yeah enjoy all those traditions that your sons are going to make yes, you carry on absolutely <laughs> Jillian Cantor is the producer of the Salt and Light TV program Mothering Full of Grace, and she's the wife of David and the mother of Joseph, Henry, Annie, Clara, and baby number five. Here now is Bob Halligan Jr. with Somebody's Birthday's Coming Up from his new album, Christmas. It's getting cold, leaves are dying, folks are bored, gossip's flying, we need a thing. To pick us up That doesn't come in A red solo cup This town Needs better Than high boots And a warm sweater We can beat A plow on the front of your truck Cause somebody's birthday's coming up Gonna have Christmas and live it up. He's the one giving us his love. Is that enough? The gift of love it's coming up. All his love, it's coming up. Shopping carts We don't give And we don't pay Whose birthday Is this anyway You lord You king Of presents Of giving Send a joyous Invite on the wings Of a dove It says Somebody's That was Bob Halligan Jr. with Somebody's Birthdays Coming Up from his new album, Christmas. And Bob Halligan will be joining us a little later on in the program. Now it's time for... 
What's Good in Hollywood with our Hollywood undercover missionary, Mark Matthews. Mark. Hello, Pedro. How Merry, are you today? I'm good. Merry Christmas. I just had so this I'm, idea of you, this, this, this image of you dressed in a Santa suit. I think that that should be something you could do at Christmas time now. Are, are you watching me? Because that's exactly how Is I'm Is that how right you're now. dressed right now? Yes. Uh, I, I, I must be a, a... Telepathic. Telepathic. So what, uh, what uh, have you learned from Hollywood for Advent or Christmas this year? Well, uh, I, I thought I'd use a very interesting story to talk about, to uh, lead into a bit of a meditation on Christmas in the okay. Incarnation. Sure. So uh, I have, my friend Caesar works at a very reputable modeling agency, and he got a very zany call earlier this year. Okay. Um, a couple had looked through their portfolio, and they picked out a number of male and female models, uh, of whom he was not one of them. Okay. Um, he's actually an assistant there. Um, but they, this couple wanted sperm and egg donations from these selected models, and they were willing to pay large sums of money for them. What? Actually, <laughs> I, well, actually, it doesn't surprise me, but yeah, go ahead. I, I know. <laughs> it's like you don't think this kind of thing happens in real life, but yes, it actually happened in real life. It so happens in Hollywood. <laughs> it happens in Hollywood, yes. Okay. On the forefront of a brave new culture. Yeah. Um, but it really got him thinking. He said, well, what would motivate, you know, such a ridiculous request? Um, and, you know, why does it seem so wrong? Okay. And so on the surface of it, you could look and you could say, well, you know, obviously they're play- pacing a large importance on the physical looks of their, bear- mm-hmm. their baby. Yeah. You know, because they you know, contacted a modeling agent. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, and it speaks nothing of the interiorness of the child. You know, there's far more to a being than just their external looks. Yes. You know, I could have forgiven them, you know, maybe if they had, you know, were looking for eggs from Nobel laureates at Cambridge or, or maybe even the Sisters of Charity looking for the eggs <laughs> of the holiest women. They're not donating um, their eggs, though. <laughs> they're not, they're not. And that's wrong in yes. a thousand different ways. Oh, my God. We're going to get I phone know. calls out of from that one. Yeah. I can't believe I said that. So, yes. Uh, it, but the problems go much, much deeper than that. Um, and really, think about the incarnation. How is it possible that the creator of our universe took on human form? Uh, and, and just think about, like, kind of the practicalities of this. You know, yeah. how did, when did Jesus know that he was God's son? Did he goo and God like a baby, but he was kind of pretending? Or did he, was, did he, was he actually that humble that, you know, when he was born, he couldn't understand words and he had to learn? Right. Uh, could he really read minds? Um, and if you really start thinking about these questions in depth, you'll realize that, you know, we can't even ask some simple questions about non-divine people like you and me, yeah. um, you know, and how did how does our intellect work? How does our mind work? Mm-hmm. How did God make us in His image? What does it mean to give birth to a child, to hold a helpless little being in your arms, and have their whole life depend on you? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you just try to think about some of those, and you'll realize that the depth of a human being uh, is truly incomprehensible. Yeah. Um, and if we can't even begin to answer questions like this, how can we be so sure that we're doing something good when we, you know, quote-unquote, mess up the formula mm. and move the sexual act from an intimate exchange between persons on uh, into a test tube? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, the, if you really think about that, it's like, yeah, we, we really have no clue. Just because we can do it doesn't mean that we understand it. Right. Um, uh, it but... 
In fact, the world thinks otherwise. The inventor of in vitro fertilization, uh, Robert Edwards, said in an interview, he said, I wanted to find out exactly who was in charge, whether it was God himself or whether it was scientists in the laboratory. Huh. It was us. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah, I know, and you just kind of think, oh, the hubris of that, to think that, you know, just because we can do something, we know everything about it. Yes. Um, and so the Catholic Church, you know, we have the humility to see that uh, human conception is something very much beyond us, something transcendent, uh, and we don't have the right to, to change anything like that or mess with it or anything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, think about that. So the good news is is that this agency was very reputable, and they didn't even begin to consider this request. Right. Um, you know, they somehow saw the intrinsic wrongness of it uh, immediately. Uh, but it still is a sign of, you know, things, I think, on the horizon of our culture. So, so, so I was, go deep. Yeah, go well, deep. Go, uh, no, yeah, Advent. So you, what's the connect? I mean, I get the connection. I mean, that you're thinking about the incarnation of God becoming man. So is there yeah, a deeper just, connection with Advent and Christmas? Yeah, yeah. that, that is, think, meditate on the incarnation of what it really means that God brought himself into our world. You know, and, and even the incredible humility of, you know, God to do that, to bring himself into a world. But then also to think about, you know, what, how that elevates our dignity up to his level. Uh, and if you, you know, you really kind of start to think about some of these questions, you know, you'll hopefully be, you know, have some thoughts and be able to give word and explanation and, and witness uh, when you're fielding phone calls like this uh, for very, very zany, crazy requests. Amen. Good, Amen. Uh, good uh, yet unusual reflection for Christmas. Um, <laughs> the most unusual Christmas reflection you'll hear this season. I'm sure. I think it's probably the one that the most unusual Christmas reflection I've heard here ever. But but deep, and and certainly something for thought. Not to di- you know not uh, we don't want people to be like despairing like the world has gone astray. But it's something absolutely yeah. to, uh, well, and, to consider. And I think it, I think it speaks to hope too that, that this agency didn't even consider it. You know. Yeah. So absolutely. Good. Yes. Amen. Well, thank you very much. That's, I guess, that's good in Hollywood that they said. That is no. good, yes. So, amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas to you too, Pedro. There you go. Something good uh, uh, and not so good in Hollywood with Mark Matthews, our undercover Hollywood missionary. You can follow him on Twitter at HUMissionary. Coming up in our second half hour, Sister Marie Paul's Windows to the Soul and a featured chat with Bob Halligan Jr. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Christmas edition, part two. I'm Deacon Pedro. Here's Bob Halligan Jr. with Teach Our Feet to Dance from his new album, Christmas. Well, I've got some friends down here, Lord, who don't always come through. I don't claim to know your business, but I'm betting you do too. When all of this gets old, one thing always makes it new. Merry Christmas. The least of us can say it. Merry Christmas.
That was Bob Halligan Jr. with Teach Our Feet to Dance from his new album, Christmas. And Bob Halligan will be joining me in about 10 minutes. You're listening to our Salt and Light Hour Christmas special. I'm Deacon Pedro. And now it's time for... Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. Sister, Merry Christmas! Blessed Christmas to you too, and to everybody who's listening in. <laughs> so, so I'm 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 really excited because you're probably are you going to speak about the greatest movie of all time? <laughs> oh, Deacon Pedro, it's a wonderful life is definitely fitting into my theme, but yeah. we've kind of covered it in the past couple of Christmas. Okay, shows. we can't cover. I thought we year. could do some new Christmas gems. Okay, all right. Okay, so <laughs> we won't be talking about it's a wonderful life. So, what's your what's your theme this year? My theme this year is really, this is our Christmas in the Year of Mercy. And, you know, when Pope Francis wrote about the Jubilee Year of Mercy, he talked about mercy as a bridge that connects God and humanity, that that opens our hearts to the hope of being loved forever, despite, you know, our sinfulness. So the theme is Christmas movies with a character that is a bridge of mercy for another character. Okay, okay, I like that. It's a Wonderful Life does fit that. Yes, it does, in many (laughs) ways. Totally, actually. Yes. Okay, but uh, we're not going to talk about that. So, so what's your so five? You're doing 
so five songs? I'm going to do five Christmas movies, five and I movies. tried to do a variety of genres instead of just going with the best of the best because I thought that way there might be something for everyone. All so right. my first one is yes. a new film this year uh, that was released in the theaters in 2015, and it's a documentary, which I don't usually cover. It's called The Dropbox. Oh, yeah. And Yes, and it's, it's about a pastor and his wife who live in Seoul, Korea, who have uh, put together, they were horrified at the number of babies who were abandoned mm-hmm. by their mothers or their parents, um, at, you know, just out on the street and died of exposure. So they created a drop box at their home where babies could be safely dropped off and right. taken in by this pastor who then, you know, passes them off to be adopted. But he yes. initially prays with them and, and takes care of them. And actually, it's it's a hugely inspiring story, true story, it's a documentary, mm-hmm. because of the devotion of the pastor, his wife, and the volunteers to these children, uh, the ones who are dropped off, but especially to the ones that the pastor adopts, because these are the children that are the most helpless, and they're, they're, they're usually quite disabled okay. uh, when they're in, abandoned. And so it's very inspiring. It's a tearjerker yes. and heartwarming at the same time. Like yes. you really, it's, 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 it's an interesting experience to watch because you're, constantly laughing or crying and it does raise the important issue of children being abandoned of course. Uh, and showing how a brave couple decide they can't save every child but they'll do what they can right uh, i think what i liked the most about this movie and why i included it yeah you know in addition to the short christmas scene at the end that justifies it as a christmas movie yes um is that it's not just looking at the pastor and his wife and the volunteers saving the children but how these children who begin life abandoned and homeless in a way like the Christ child, although they were never abandoned by, you know, Jesus yes. was never abandoned by yes. his parents, but he certainly was homeless. How these children become a source of mercy and hope for others in their innocence and helplessness. Right. Um, nice. Just in the, the love and respect that the pastor and his wife have for the gift and the, and the purpose that these children serve, even in their, sometimes their very short lives. Yeah, okay. So it's a beautiful, yes. definitely a, a great a great movie to watch at Christmas. Interesting, good. I haven't seen it, so maybe that's what I'll do over the Christmas break. So the drop box, number five. Number five. Number, number four, four is, a, is a movie that I don't often, in a genre that I don't often cover. It's The Christmas Shoes, okay. which was made in 2002. Yes. It's one of your more sentimental, made-for-Christmas, tear-jerker yes. kind of movies, yes. uh, which I usually kind of avoid. But yes. The Christmas Shoes, uh, which stars Rob Lowe, that's yes. how you can recognize mm-hmm. it uh, if you're looking for it online, um, is, you know, it's, it's sentimental, but it's really moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob Lowe plays a workaholic attorney who neglects his wife and daughter. He has his priorities all mixed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, his, it's kind of like his life set within his town, and also the life of a young boy who wants to get special shoes for his mother because this will be her last Christmas here on Earth with yes. him. Uh, the performances are really good in this film. And one of the things I really liked about the film is that the miracles are not this big, tie-it-all-together-neatly-at-the-end kind of, kind of miracles. But the miracles in the film are about people being bridges of mercy for mm-hmm. each other, and whether they're expected or unexpected bridges of mercy. So uh, the only caveat I would say is don't watch this movie Christmas Eve unless you want to spend your Christmas Eve <laughs> With in With a tears. box of Kleenex, yes. Lots of Kleenex for this movie. Yes. Uh, but it's well worth the viewing. Okay, good. So that's number four, Christmas Shoes. Number three. 
Number three is White Christmas, the classic from 1954, yes. starring Bing Crosby, Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye. Yes. Uh, and the reason I put this in is, number one, it stands up amazingly well against other Christmas movies, uh, even though it's, you know, uh, it's such the classic that it is. Yes. And also, you know, Danny Kaye's kind of annoying, mm-hmm. uh, and he might be the unexpected uh, you know, uh, bridge that convinces, you know, the, the team of the two of them and the two sisters that they get, uh, it, you know, that they start to work with yeah. as an act, as a singing act together, uh, to do the right thing. Yeah. Uh, and also, it's filled with great songs and music by yes. Irving Berlin, like yes. White Christmas and Beautiful. Count Your Blessings yes. and Sisters, which I loved to sing with my sisters when oh, I was yeah. a kid. So it's a great movie and, and really stands the test of time. Okay. N- number two yes. is another Christmas classic. Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, yeah, of course. This, this is the 1947 version. The original version. one, yes. Yeah, the original. And it's, it's of course, if, if you don't know about it, it's an elderly man claiming to be Kris Kringle. Yes. Is hired by Macy's skeptic, Doris Walker, as Macy's Santa Claus. Yes. And a lot of the interaction is between Kris Kringle and Doris and her young daughter, Susan, who has been raised as a skeptic. She's never even read a fairy tale or played with her imagination. And Chris is trying to help them uh, develop the Christmas spirit. He yes. wants, he sees it as like a test whether Christmas spirit will survive, if he can um, help the Doris and her daughter to have faith. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris, of course, becomes sensationally popular, but is eventually put under scrutiny for being mentally insane. Yes. So Chris is the expected bridge of mercy here, but it's really touching because for most of the film, he's a very vulnerable character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot more to this little film uh, about the concept of faith, belief in what is unseen, a belief that takes us beyond where common sense would lead us. Yeah, it's and, a, you know, challenging commercialism. It just, it's yeah, really, it's, it's a, a wonderful film. view, view yes, for yes. Christmas. It's almost as good as It's a Wonderful Life. Almost. Okay, good. Okay, so that's number two. And number one... Number one, my favorite for the Year of Mercy of Christmas during the Year of Mercy is The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Of course. This is... Yeah. It was made in 2005. It's Walden Media's delightful adaptation of C.S. Lewis's classic story set, you know, during the World War I's bombings of London, in which the four children are sent away from their home in London to the country and go through a magic portal in a wardrobe to find the world of Narnia. While you could argue that it's not actually a Christmas story, the initial, you know, Narnia is initially in the midst of winter. There, is, there are rumors of the coming of a king who will bring spring and new life. Yes. Uh, this all fits, of course, within a Christmas, Christmas framework. And, of yeah. course, Aslan himself, uh, I hope I'm not spoiling it for anybody, but if you don't know who Aslan is, that's okay. He yes. becomes, he is the bridge as the Christ figure. Of but course. each of the children are bridges of hope and mercy to uh, Narnia because of the, the virtues, the spirit that they bring, courage, faith, love, and reparation yeah, to Narnia. So it's beautifully acted. It's faithful to the story. And I think this may become my Christmas, you know, holiday Christmas film uh, for the next few years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really I- well done. I agree. It's it's a great film and a great story. Um, okay, so we got the Dropbox, Christmas Shoes, White Christmas, Miracle on 34th Street, and Narnia, the first one, The Land, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Thank you very much, sister. Oh, Merry it's Christmas. such a delight to yes. do the Christmas movies. So it I is. I really enjoyed them this year. So have a very blessed Christmas. You too. Sister Marie Paul. Sister Marie Paul Curley is with the Congregation of the Daughters of St. Paul, and you can read her blog at windowstothesoul.wordpress.com and follow her on Twitter at Sister M. Paul. Hi, I'm Mark Matthews, your Hollywood undercover missionary. 
and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Bob Halligan Jr. is a rock singer, musician, and songwriter who has collaborated with many, many artists throughout his varied career. Of course, I know him because he is the frontman for the band Kaylee Rain, a group that combines Celtic rock and contemporary Christian music. With Kaylee Rain, Bob has released 11 albums, and now Bob has a new solo Christmas album, which we've been listening to. Um, Bob Halligan Jr. joins me now on the phone from his home in Syracuse, New York. Uh, Bob, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Pedro, thanks for having me, and that was all perfectly said. You're, okay, you're, good, uh, good. You're so it's not like, of elocution. <laughs> good, I, and I, good research, too. I didn't say anything, anything <laughs> wrong. Um, I guess I should say Merry Christmas. Yes, and the same to you. Thank you. Um, so, I, I, uh, of course, we're going to talk about Christmas in a second, but you're, oh, I don't even know where to start. You're, uh, would you consider yourself primarily a songwriter? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm fortunate in that the bedrock of the music business is the song. Yeah. And uh, um, I discovered that I could write songs back in 1968. <laughs> As a sophomore in high school at Christian okay. Brothers Academy in Syracuse, New York, yeah. and uh, I've been sort of at it ever since. Right. Okay. Well, tell me a bit of that. Had you been studying music, or you, or was this like a poetry kind of thing that you started writing songs? How did well, you end up writing um, songs? I took piano lessons yeah. from second grade to seventh grade. Hated every minute of it. <laughs> um, yeah. Asked to get a guitar, and as soon as I got the guitar, I started to look at the piano in a different way. Right. So I yes. used both. One uh, uh, playing of one instrument would teach me how to play the other sort right. of thing. And and yeah. uh, in the songwriting, I was paid a compliment by our music director, uh-huh. who was a guy who could play the piano, um, lead the band, direct the singers, and bark at the tech crew in this headset all at the same at time. At the same time, yeah. And I thought, okay, if he thinks that I've got something, then I do. Yeah. And so I came home that night from school and went to the piano and wrote a song, and I've never looked back. It's like 1,100 songs later. Wow. And um, and wait, no, and that first song, was it any good? <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm not going to win any uh, Grammys for it, but it's not hideous, let's say it that yeah. way. Yeah, um, I I do sometimes sing it for especially for youth groups to yeah. s- just to show them nice that uh, you know what is possible uh, without really putting too much thought into right. stuff. You you really do have to let the spirit lead sometimes, and and this we put too much brain in a lot of our okay. uh, activities down here. Mm-hmm. So, so would you would you say that that's as a songwriter that's your process that you is it a prayerful process is it more contemplative or do you is it more of a uh a, a, a like you work at it uh, well, as there's a technique Pedro that's to a it. good question. It's it's all of the above yeah. and several other modes. Right. Uh you know, you can be driving along thinking about other things, and all of a sudden something pops in. Yeah. Uh, or as you're driving, the, a, a rewrite of what you're already working on will pop in. Yes. Um, so it's yeah. that kind of... Uh, 
it's the songwriter's variation on Pray Unceasingly. Uh-huh. It's kind of right unceasingly. Yeah, it's kind of happening and, um, always. Yeah. You, you just you have your antenna up all the time, uh-huh. and uh, various things float in, and, and a lot of the best ideas are ones that you're not looking for. It's, you know, it's kind of like, if you think about cockroaches, not that I want you or the audience <laughs> to think about cockroaches, okay. but here we are. I don't know where you're um, going with this. <laughs> you, they might be, especially in an apartment in New York City, yeah. uh, they might be crawling around on the floor, but if you turn the light on, they run away. Right. Um, I see. And yeah. that's a lot like ideas. Yeah. Ideas are like cockroaches. You can write that down. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to quote you on that. Yes. Yeah. So nice. So um, you've, I mean, you've written songs for a lot. Not just, I mean, obviously for you and for Kaylee Rain, but you've written songs for lots of people. Judas Priest is probably the one that kind of stands out for me because I don't think of you. (laughs) I don't think of you as a heavy metal kind of guy. But was that kind of the beginning of your career? You were more into the heavy um, rock scene. Nobody, nobody thought of me as a heavy metal person in in large part because I wasn't. It's not my essence, but uh-huh. um, I discovered accidentally that I could do it. Yeah. Um, and part of it, Pedro, was that because I didn't feel any pressure, I, I didn't aspire to be okay. a heavy metal yeah. manioid. Yeah. So it was kind of like drawing cartoons for me. It, yeah. was, it was a trifling thing uh-huh. that turned out to make me a... a a nice living. Yeah. And, you know, I became the heavy metal song doctor yeah. for, a, for a short period of time, and uh, the record companies were flying me here, there, and everywhere, and I couldn't write them fast enough. In 1985, I had 27 songs on records. Yeah, that's great. Um, and it was, it was a nutty period, and then I got known for that. You know, the the good and the bad news is you get pigeonholed. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. And then I met Michael Bolton, uh-huh. who yes. heard in a range of things that I had done that I had pop sensibilities beyond the the crunchy rock thing. Okay. And uh, we started to write together a lot. This was just before he had huge hits. Interesting, Michael and, Bolton. Uh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, were you? How was? Where? Where were you in your faith around that time? Let me see, 1985, by then, 86, I had written songs on contemporary Christian records for my dear friend Rick Kua. Yeah. And um, played and sang on some and even produced one of his records by that time. Right, but you weren't doing your own stuff. Uh, I hadn't switched over to doing that for myself as an artist, in part because I, you know, I had no record deal, I had no band. Right. Um, I was still kind of flailing around uh-huh. and doing whatever came across my path. Right. And uh, my my faith, you know, being a cradle to the grave Catholic, yeah. being born in a yeah. in a Catholic church building, if you will, mm-hmm. um, you know, always altar boy, choir boy, lector at first Friday mass. Yeah kid most likely to be a priest etc yes, yeah uh the nun's pet kind of guy um yeah. i've always been there but uh when i got married to linda foster now linda foster halligan yeah 40 years ago um 
and I observed her very strong faith at age 22, hmm. um, that's when I started to really contemplate going a little deeper. So it's always yeah. been one foot in front of the other. For me, you know, a lot of the contemporary Christian artists were guys who were drug addicts and car thieves who got hit with the God whammy stick once, yes. you know, in a dark alley and then never went back. Right. For me, it was just a, a, a slow... Like a gradual, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, uh, so let's talk about the Christmas album. We've been listening to a few songs from the album. This is not not your first solo album, but is it your first Christmas? I guess it's not really the f- the first set of Christmas songs that you write. But why did you want to do a Christmas album, a solo Christmas album? Well, our Kaylee Rain's number one fan, whose name is Barb Votel, she uh-huh. lives in San Diego, and she's now I think eighty four years old. Right, tells you a little something about our demographic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she has been bugging the snot out of me for about five or six years to do a Christmas record. Uh-huh. And just to make her stop, I figured I would get it done. That's great. And uh, so she got the first copy. I sent it to her in the mail. That's great. And uh, But it's not my first. My first solo album was on a, a mainstream yeah. major label yeah. called Atco with yeah. part of Atlantic, and that was back in 19... 19- 91 right that, that came out yeah but, uh, and then it had no success with that and then <laughs> praise god the, the kaylee rain thing yeah it happened. um yeah. emerged from the ashes that's of that. that's great um yeah w- did you have did you write specifically write christmas songs for this album or were these songs that you yeah, I had, had three uh three songs on this record one that i had written for a female italian artist several years ago, uh-huh. who wanted a nice melodic but hip Christmas song. And I had recorded all these tracks, and I couldn't imagine re-recording them in a lower key, so I just sang it all in her key. Right. And uh, hopefully the audience will survive that experience. Which, which one was uh, that? What song was that? Uh, it's called... Right. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna end the show with that one. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that's good. 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 Thanks for the intro. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Bob, that's all the time we have. And uh, the reason why I didn't ask you about Kaylee Rain is because I'm gonna bring you back on the show, and we're just gonna talk about Kaylee Rain and the work Wonderful. that you do with them we'll because that's great music. But today we're celebrating Christmas, and we're very happy to have been able to celebrate it with four of your songs. And it's been great to have you on the show with us today. Oh, praise God. Thank you so much for asking me, Pedro. You're very welcome. Um, you can learn more about Bob Halligan Jr. and Kaylee Rain at KayleeRain.com. And, of course, Kaylee is C-E-I-L-I, Rain, Kaylee Rain. But I'm going to put that link on our site. You can find it easily. Here now is Bob Halligan Jr. with that song that he just uh, perfectly introduced, Merry, Merry Christmas, from his new album, Christmas. listening to Bob Halligan Jr. with Merry Merry Christmas from his new album, Christmas. 
And that brings us to the end of the program. Remember that Salt and Light TV and the Salt and Light Hour are now on Roku, so check it out. You can also stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. All our programs are there available for you to listen to as many times as you want. The Salt and Light Hour is a ministry of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. You can learn all about Salt and Light and all that we do at saltandlighttv.org. Today, I was joined by our public relations expert, Daniel Torquia, our parenting expert, Jillian Cantor, our Hollywood undercover missionary, Mark Matthews, and our film expert, Sister Marie Paul Curley. Our sound engineer is Javier Capella. The executive producer of Salt and Light Media is Father Thomas Rosica. I am Deacon Pedro, and I hope to see you and hear from you on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for being with us. Have a holy and blessed Christmas season.